Welcome to another episode of Geeks Crossing. I'm your host, Matt. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm kind of a Mario fan. I mean, I know I'm a fairly casual gamer, but there are some franchises that I really love. And the good old 3D Mario platformers get me every time. And this is apparent with the content I've put out more recently on this podcast. Back in March, I talked about the potential future of the Mario franchise. And in June, I talked about my experience playing Super Mario 64 for the first time in an episode commemorating this game's 25th anniversary. What can I say? Since little nine-year-old Matt picked up Super Mario Galaxy for the first time, I've been dreaming about traveling through the worlds of this universe. I'm serious. Back when I was a young boy and I had trouble falling asleep, I used to walk myself through the various galaxies of my favorite game to ease me into slumber. And when I was doing my Super Mario 64 episode, I really got to thinking just how different each individual world of the game was designed. You had worlds consisting of underwater bases, deserts, lava lakes, frigid mountaintops, literal battlefields, haunted mansions, and many, many more. So I got to thinking, if I had to pack up and move to one of Super Mario 64's colorful worlds, which would be the best for me to go? And that's what I'm here to decide today. I'm going to go house hunting in each Super Mario 64 world and try to find which worlds would be the nicest place to settle down. You know, other than Renaissance Matt, my recurring little deep dive series, the only miniseries on Geeks Crossing have been from Eric. We've listened to his miniseries on Pokemon Starters, Kingdom Hearts Worlds, Ed Ed Nettie Seasons, Nintendo Games, and Disney Movies. And if you haven't listened to them, go check them out when you're finished here. Shout out to my boy, Eric. But I think it's high time I start a true miniseries on this podcast. A super silly one, of course, but one with a definitive beginning and a definitive end. And today I'm going to talk about which Super Mario 64 worlds would make the best and the worst homes. But there will be three more episodes to tackle the galaxies of both galaxy games, as well as the kingdoms of Odyssey. Yeah, we're skipping sunshine. I know each section of the tropical island resort has its own little setup and theme, but come on, for the most part, the whole game setting is a tropical island resort. Set aside how that's already a pretty amazing place to call home, Sunshine really doesn't have the variety in its worlds that the other four 3D Mario platforms have. Alright, so I played through Super Mario 64 and I'm familiar with all of the worlds. Let's start with the worst worlds to come home and move to the better real estate as we go. I think the worst world to live in would have to be Rainbow Ride. I'm tempted to say it's pretty much hands down. Sure, there's a big castle in the sky and from the looks of it, it's unoccupied. I could foresee a happy existence in that castle. You know, if it was attached to the ground... But the whole gimmick of Rainbow Ride is that you precariously hop from magic carpet to magic carpet, from floating block to floating block. One wrong step in my incredibly challenging morning commute, and I'm hurling to the ground, never to be heard from again. Plus, at this altitude, I have to imagine my ears would be in a lot of pain, and I'd probably have trouble breathing. Props to Mario for getting through this world, but even if he lingered, I think he'd need an oxygen tank. Simply put, Rainbow Ride seems like the worst world to live in, just because of how easy it would be to die, and how inconvenient it would be to truly live there. Bowser in the Fire Sea is the second worst, followed closely after by Lethal Lava Land. I think these two are fairly obvious. Human beings have trouble breathing not only in high altitudes, but also in extremely hot environments. There's a reason we really don't set up civilizations in volcanoes. I'm not really in the mood to hop from block to block to avoid a fiery, burning, agonizing death, and to be honest, there's just not much to do in either world. 
Rainbow Ride, at least, has a nice big airship and the aforementioned castle, but Bowser in the Fire Sea and Lethal Lava Land don't have much to offer other than small platforms. And before you ask, no, I really don't want to live inside Lethal Lava Land's volcano. Yeah, I guess it's roomy, but again, it's mostly filled with lava, which I would die upon touching. While we're at it, let's bang out the other two Bowser worlds, Bowser in the Dark World and Bowser in the Sky, just because they're super linear. If your house was shaped like a straight line, you probably wouldn't be very happy. Add that to the fact that the ground is moving in many places, and one wrong step means plummeting to your doom, and yeah, I think I'm good. Next up is Dire Dire Docks. As a whole, Dire Dire Docks doesn't seem too bad. There's a pretty spacious underwater base, which isn't too shabby. But at the end of the day, I can't hold my breath for as long as Mario did to swim into it. I'd drown before I could even glance at Bowser's submarine. And outside of the underwater base, Dire Dire Docks is just a giant pool of water. That's it. I mean, there's some treasure chests and a stingray swimming down toward the bottom, but I'm doubtful I could hold my breath long enough to investigate, and even if I could, there's a whirlpool at the bottom that would suck me right up, promising me a nasty, horrific death. What saves Dire Dire Docks from being at the true bottom of this list is that there is a craggy border around the giant pool, and I'm sure I could finagle my way up to some sort of point where I could at least build a small camp. But if I'm looking for a home, small base camp with a giant pool that kills you if you reach the bottom isn't exactly what I'm in the market for. This might be controversial, I really don't know, <laughs> but I think the next worst world to live in would be TikTok Clock. Yeah, there's some sizable platforms where you could build a comfortable life for yourself, but with platforms constantly moving and shifting and the sound of so many gears and bells going off 24-7, it would get hectic and probably at least a little dangerous. I remind you that this is yet another world with a bottomless pit. Plus, it would be claustrophobic. There's no exposure to sunlight at all. And speaking of no exposure to sunlight, we find ourselves at Hazy Maze Cave. I put Hazy Maze Cave above TikTok Clock just because there's fewer bottomless pits and there's actually a few decently sized caverns that would make for a pretty nice setup. The thing is, there are still hazards to keep in mind. Toxic fumes, giant out-of-control boulders, and bottomless pits come to mind. But... Even if you steer clear of all of those and set up shop in, say, the Red Coin Chamber, human beings just aren't meant to spend their whole lives underground. I'm sure if I set up my home here, I would not only feel claustrophobic, but I would miss the sun and the outdoors, instead cramped in a creepy cave breathing stale air for the rest of my life. That may be safer than Rainbow Ride or Lethal Lava Land, but it's still no way to live. Big Boo's Haunt is next, maybe controversially. After all, Big Boo's Haunt is one of the few worlds in Super Mario 64 to actually contain a fully-fledged building, let alone a mansion. But come on, it's filled with ghosts, and though they're goofy and cartoony ghosts, they'll still kill me. I'm gonna go by the logic presented in Eric's Mario Enemy Power tier list, which is a great episode if you haven't already listened to it, and assume that, as a normal, average human being, I can't kill a ghost with my fists. So, that fact alone would make life in Big Boo's Haunt a waking nightmare. There's something to say about having your own private library, but it's not much use when the books are possessed and homicidal. And none of this is even mentioning all the giant floating eyeballs. Too creepy, man. If I have access to a priest to perform an exorcism, then maybe, but as it stands now, Big Boo's Haunt is only slightly better than the world's consisting of lava pools and deadly drops into the void. Slightly better than Big Boo's Haunt is Shifting Sandland. Yeah, humans have difficulty starting a society in the middle of the desert, but it isn't all bad in this desert level. 
The interior of the pyramid is surprisingly spacious, and as long as I'm careful, I shouldn't have to worry about sinking in the sand. Sure, there's a giant, horrific set of hands with eyes in their palms to worry about, but they have their own little chamber, so I'm assuming as long as I stay out of their way, they won't mind me. The real problem, though, is getting to the pyramid. It's surrounded on all sides by deadly quicksand, and the path to even attempt to get inside is blocked by those big block dudes who travel back and forth on a set path. You know, the ones that later appeared in Super Mario Galaxy. Apparently, they're called Tox Boxes. Interesting fact I never knew. But whatever they're called, Tox Boxes have always been one of the most horrible enemies in the game since they're so hard to avoid, and usually getting out of their way requires long jumping. That's not really something I can do, and much like Mario, I assume I would be insta-killed by a squish from the Tox Box. If I could manage to simply climb over the tall sand dunes and avoid having to deal with the Tox Boxes at all... Quicksand would be the only thing to really worry about here, but Shifting Sandland strikes me as much more dangerous than other, better stages. More livable than the hot desert of Shifting Sandland is the freezing peak of Cool Cool Mountain, though not by much. It's true, there is a cozy little cabin at the foot of this mountain, and penguins around to make conversation with, but this stage is very linear, and there are a lot of places that require one to carefully cross rickety bridges, ride tiny ski lifts, or flat out shoot oneself from a cannon just to traverse. And if you really want to get from the top of the mountain to the cabin on the bottom, you have to slide down an icy, well, slide. <laughs> the problem is that one wrong turn down that slide sends you plummeting to your death. In fact, there's an awful lot of opportunities to plummet to your death on Cool Cool Mountain, whether it be messing up the slide, slipping off the ski lift, or accidentally sledding down the mountain itself. Mountains are dangerous, and that's why, just barely beating Cool Cool Mountain, I rank Tall Tall Mountain. It's got some pros over Cool Cool Mountain, namely, I'm not at any risk of dying of hypothermia, the nature includes running water and cute little monkeys, and there's many more horizontal platforms where one could set up a camp or build a little house. But none of that saves Tall Tall Mountain from being exactly what it is, a tall, tall mountain. Putting aside the potential for breathing difficulties, depending on how tall this mountain really is, the gaps are also much bigger in this stage than in Cool Cool Mountain. In fact, just to get past the first part of the level, you've got a long jump a few times, which is a skill I really don't have in my arsenal. So if I wanted to make any progress, I'd have to be a mountain climber. Not impossible, of course, there's many people who mountain climb just for fun but hardly practical if I have to bring climbing gear just to reach my home. Next on the list is Tiny Huge Island. For a comfortable living experience, I would probably just have to call this place Huge Island because I sure don't think it would be fun to have to walk around as a giant in my own home. There are perks to this world, namely a fairly simple climate, green grass and sandy beaches. I'd even have a neighbor, a wiggler living inside the mountaintop who shouldn't give me any problems as long as I don't purposely flood his house. That said, there are some real drawbacks to living in Tiny Huge Island. Obviously, like I've said, the tiny part of this island would be extremely inconvenient and it would be way too easy for me to trip and fall to my untimely demise. Because this is yet another stage surrounded by a bottomless pit. And things aren't exactly fair game in the huge version of this stage either. Sure, there's green grass, but that grass is home to giant fire-breathing plants. Yeah, there's sandy beaches, but in the water lurks a giant man-eating fish. And none of this is even mentioning how difficult this level is to traverse with many precise jumps and a bridge constantly blasted by powerful gusts of wind. Plummeting to my death is just as real a risk in the huge part of Tiny Huge Island. All in all, this is far from the worst stage in the game to make a life for myself, but all the dangers here might make that life shorter than it needs to be. Next one might be another surprise. Womp's Fortress. 
Originally, I had Womp's Fortress much higher on this list, and I guess it is still the sixth highest, so that's not horrible. But there are some glaring flaws that need to be addressed. One might think that Womp's Fortress would make a pretty good home. It's a super early stage, so how dangerous could it really be? Well, the bottom half of this level isn't so bad. Aside from one or two sleeping piranha plants, you've got a full roam of a nice little field, a large pool of water, though extremely shallow, and even a pink bomb to hang out with. The Womps are pretty terrifying, considering they're giant slabs of concrete that can throw themselves onto you within seconds, but it's pretty easy to steer clear of them since they only show up towards the end of the stage. In Womps Fortress, you get a pretty decently sized area to call home, but you do have to watch out for the classic threat of, you know, falling to your death. In fact, Womps Fortress is the last stage on this list with a bottomless pit. The five best worlds to live in have their flaws, but at least the real estate doesn't come with any endless chasms. Next up is Wet Dry World. I'm kind of iffy with Wet Dry World. See, on one hand, you pretty much get a pool that you can completely control. In the mood for a long swim, you can climb to the top of the stage and fill the water to the brim. When you want to get dry, just swim to the bottom and flood the water out. It's foolproof. There's not even any dangerous enemies, just those water bug things and the little heave hose and chuckies that throw you around. In fact, you could utilize those for a pleasurable swimming experience and get the chuckies to launch you into the pool. That being said, even though there is a fair amount of room, you'd pretty much be living in a place that is always wet, to some extent. Put aside the concept of mold, which would probably get out of control pretty quickly, it would just get really gross to be always slightly wet. Plus, it'd be very hard to generate electricity here on account of the water getting into the plugs and outlets. If I lived in wet-dry world, I probably wouldn't even be able to make this podcast anymore, since my laptop and phone would inevitably die, and that's just a shame. I'm not going to consider the flooded city in my pros and cons, since... Much like Bowser's submarine base in Dire Dire Docks, I would probably not be able to hold my breath long enough to reach it. The fourth most viable location for real estate in Super Mario 64 is Snowman's Land. Kind of a weird one, I know, but stay with me here. Sure, there's a freezing cold lake, and the enemies are a bit more dangerous than the ones in Wet Dry World. And of course, the danger of hypothermia is always there. But in the grand scheme of Super Mario 64 stages, Snowman's Land is pretty solid. There's no risk of falling to your death in some bottomless pit. There's no molten lava or deadly quicksand, just a whole lot of snow. And, though in most cases I consider Mario stronger than the average human, in general I kind of think he's a big baby when it comes to a lot of his icy obstacles. He flat out dies within a minute of swimming in a cold lake, and a snowball fight with a snowman does actual damage to him. I'm pretty confident that these threats aren't as bad as Mario makes them out to be, there are dozens of human societies that develop perfectly fine living their entire lives in the cold. And hey, if things get too bad, there's always an igloo to hide inside of. I don't even think the giant snowman is anything to worry about. He doesn't move or anything, just blows cold wind. As long as I don't stand directly in front of his face, which already takes a lot of platforming to even reach, I shouldn't be in any danger. The third best world to live in is Jolly Roger Bay. I can only really think of two major issues with Jolly Roger Bay. One... The weather's always kind of cruddy. And two, yeah, a giant eel swims below the surface, so that's definitely not fun. As someone who doesn't like swimming in lakes much as is, the idea that there's a giant eel somewhere in the murky depths below me is not going to entice me into the water. But these flaws ignore the fact that with Jolly Roger Bay, you pretty much get an entire lake all to yourself. 
you can build yourself a very comfortable home and enjoy the shallow part of the lake with minimal risk of becoming eel food. Minimal risk, yes, but risk that is still there no matter what. And hey, if you can somehow get that sunken ship to rise to the surface, that would be a pretty great place to hang out too. Imagine having your friends over and chilling on an honest-to-goodness galleon. It's a somewhat small world, and my enjoyment would always be hampered by the fact that there's a man-eating eel in the water, but a lake with a deadly eel is still far more close to normal than lava pools and freezing tundras, and all in all, Jolly Roger Bay has some passable real estate. Hey, I never said many of these worlds were going to be amazing. Passable is going to be as good as it gets for the most part, including our second most desirable world to live in, bob Battlefield. In a game where the main drawback for living in the diverse worlds are the equally diverse hazards, it should come as no surprise that one of the best places to build a home is the very first stage where threats are at a minimum. There's very few cons with bob Battlefield. Sure, if you climb to the top of the mountain, there's the threat of falling down and getting seriously injured, but there's a very helpful path that winds the whole thing with, with very few difficult jumps. Yeah, this is technically a battlefield, so there's lots of bob and Goombas around, but they're super easy to outrun. King bob lives on top of the mountain, but he's no threat as long as you don't go up there. Plus, if you're relatively sociable, like me, and the idea of being alone bores you, there's a friendly species of pink bob in this stage that would act as your neighbors. Really the only stage in the game to have neighbors. And on top of it all, unlike the cloudy weather in Jolly Roger Bay, the sky is always clear and sunny in bob Battlefield, making this a terrific place to call home. In fact, the only real con I can think of is the effort it would take to build or move a house here. That's why bob Battlefield is only the second best world to call home in Super Mario 64. The best, undoubtedly, is Peach's Castle. Makes sense, right? What could be less dangerous and more secure than the first world? The hub world, of course. A beautiful property consisting of a lake, no giant eels or man-eating fish to be found, and rows of trees, friendly toads with which one could make conversation, and, elephant in the room, a giant mansion-sized castle where you're free to roam the halls without having to worry about the elements or about building or moving your own house. No, Peach's Castle provides you with the biggest building in the game. Of course, you just have to, you know, stay out of the courtyard. <laughs> a little haunted, but, you know, as long as you stay out of the courtyard, you're all good. Is it a bit of a cop-out to rank Peach's Castle at the top of the ranking like this? Maybe. But I think part of the appeal of the hub world in a game like Super Mario 64 is that it, quite obviously, makes the best home, since it pretty much acts as your home when you play the game. Enemies don't spawn here. Again, stay out of the courtyard. Bosses don't mess you up here. Bottomless pits don't exist here. Life is good. As long as Princess Peach doesn't mind you squatting. Super Mario 64 has a lot of different worlds with a wide array of pros and cons to the average human homeowner. But Peach's Castle is definitely the world that keeps your headaches to a minimum. And in my opinion, makes the best home out of any major world in the game. Thankfully, I'm not actually a character in the Mario universe, seeing as life would still be pretty dangerous for me. But it's nice to know that, if I was, I could narrow down my choices for which world would make the best home. Like I said at the beginning, this episode is merely the first part of a little mini-series about Mario real estate. We'll be taking romps through full-on galaxies in our next two installments, before returning to the Earth to look at Mario Odyssey Kingdoms. It's sure to be a fun time, and I'm thankful that you've joined me for my, the debut episode. Did you agree with my rankings, or did I make some incorrect decisions, in your opinion? If you lived in the universe of Super Mario 64, which worlds would you want to live in? And which worlds do you think you should avoid at all costs? Let me know in our Discord. Link is in the description of this episode, as always. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, at Geeks Crossing, and continue to support us wherever you're listening to us right now.
whether that be Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or iHeartRadio. Tell your friends and family about us, especially any and all Mario fans you know. And if you really can't get enough of the geeks, catch Keith and Nick over on Twitch at Nuclear Bacons and CryptoLock Gaming, respectively. Our favorite fifth geek, Tyler, is also on there at Carrotbite Gaming. Show them some love if you're a geek for gaming. I'm Matt, and this has been another episode of Geeks Crossing. So long, dear viewers! Thank you.